Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory, Lord. We thank you for all that you have given us that pertains to salvation, Lord. We thank you for the privilege to approach you in prayer and to know your, your truth, Lord, to have an understanding of your will that you have provided through your word as well as through the Spirit. Lord, we thank you for all that you have for us, and we ask that today you will just encourage us, uplift us, exhort us just a little bit more in this message. Let my words become your words, Lord, that you speak to us rather than a man standing in a pulpit. Lord, I ask that you precede me and you, you touch the hearts and the minds of each person listening to this message and you glorify yourself. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So, earlier this morning, this is going to be a re-recording of our service that we had this morning. And in a manner of walking worthy of our Lord, telling his first century disciples to go and make more disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... I am, del- I am delighted to have baptized Mr. Andy Diaz this morning to participate in baptism as an uh, exemplification or as a picture of him dying to himself and allowing the truth of Christ, allowing the life of Christ, allowing the glorious reality that God has given us to approach him through Jesus Christ to become his reality, his defining moment in life. With that, I'm going to ask Mr. Andy Diaz to just share a couple brief words with us. Andy, um, tell me a little bit about what stimulated us, or tell us a bit, about what (coughs) stimulated uh, you to want to be baptized. Well, I tried different methods of uh, changing. I went from therapy to medication to running, sports, reading, uh, and nothing worked until I finally realized that actually dying to Christ would be the only way I would be saved. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Andy, and I know God will be uh, working with you on this journey. Yes, sir. Amen. So we're going to be praying that uh, Andy becomes a disciple that makes disciples, not merely a Christian that sits in a pew, but instead a disciple that has understood the truth of God, that has clarity in regards to what God's word and his truth is, and is going to move forward with that. Amen. Amen. The Christian church emerged out of the first century Judaism of that time. Again, Jesus was the Messiah who came to fulfill the promises and prophecies that Israel had held to for thousands upon thousands of years. Those who received this truth and understood it to be the truth from the first century forward have since been referred to as the Christians, the followers of Jesus Christ. The Jews were known for their ceremonial washings, everything from conversion to Judaism certain skin conditions or coming into contact with a dead body required or warranted a ritual washing. In some cases, full immersion, meaning your body going completely into the water as if you were dead, was required. All throughout the story of Scripture, we read of the dust as death, the filth of sin that seems to cover all mankind, and the necessity of removing filth by way of washing and changing our clothes two aspects that are symbolized in baptism and this is what we participated in and celebrated earlier this morning at Blue Point Bible Church. However, the one baptism that we celebrate here is far more than a ritual washing. Actually, it was in a conversation with Brother Andy that I found a good way to detail the distinction of this baptism that we, will cele- that we had celebrated this morning. 
If you read the Old Testament, the Jews were given opportunity after opportunity to fix their wrongs, try to do better in life, especially as it pertained to pleasing God. They completed ceremonial washings, even offered burnt sacrifices of animals. And again, if you understand the context and what you must go to, to go through to offer a sacrifice of an animal, you would understand that there was a lot of effort in that system. However, they again and again found themselves surrounded and covered by the filth of sin. Has anyone ever felt like that in life, where you keep trying again and again to do the right thing? Maybe change your life, maybe stop some bad habits, whatever it might be. However, failure seems to be the repeated outcome. I know I have been there again and again. I try, and I try to do better the next time. Try to be righteous. Try to make better decisions. Try to implement new things into my life to see better results. And I imagine most of you will not be shocked to hear that I continually failed and surely never found the joy, the self-esteem, the confidence, the satisfaction, or whatever it was that I was looking for in those things. However, when Jesus Christ came into that faithful generation 2,000 years ago, he was not offering another solution for life or a better life. He was offering life itself. Dare I say, life with a capital L. Because what we commonly call life is hardly life. I love that the Hebrews and the Greeks, they seem to understand this a bit better, where they had different words that would apply to different understandings of life. You know, uh, the Greeks more so, where they apply uh, bios and zoe. You have bios is mere existence, whereas zoe is life. You see, they understood the difference between merely existing and living with an intention, a purpose, and living with clarity in regards to pleasing God and God, if I may use the metaphor of God, smiling down upon you. Jesus was not offering another option. He made this very clear to all those he called. He was not offering another washing or simply another outfit that they could put on because, again, that's what they had done with their religious system. It just became an outfit that they would put on. No. No. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the washing that is needed by all. This is the outfit that must be put on to put on Christ is what all must do to know, experience, and live an eternally fulfilling life. That's what we need to be talking about as Christians, is eternally fulfilling lives. That's what we're inviting Andy into this, um, this morning and what we, you know, this sacrament of baptism, the ordinance of baptism, if you may. That is what it is. It's inviting him into living an eternally fulfilling life. However, that must be preceded by dying to ourselves, dying to our efforts, or this silly thought that we could ever find peace, righteousness, joy, and or satisfaction on our own terms. Amen? Amen. So I have to say, the baptism of Andy this morning was a God-glorifying moment. It, it really was. It was uh, rather encouraging. Um, and God is truly on the move in the midst of what we're seeing, in the midst of our, our society, in the midst of Long Island, in the midst of our church. Um, God is surely on the move. A couple weeks ago, a few friends and I attended a sobriety meeting and listened to another brother in Christ exhort mostly a non-believing crowd about dying to themselves. I have to say, I'm a preacher, and I, more, more often than not, I find myself in environments where people are, are expecting me to be the one that has the truth to give other people, you know, to exhort them or encourage them in regards to the things of God. 
However, Andy was with me that night. And I'll tell you, after spending that night with the blessing of listening to a brother just speak to us about brokenness and about the need to die to ourselves and stop trying to do it right in our own way, or you know, whether it's sobriety or whatever change we're trying to see in our life, you know, to ultimately to find satisfaction, um, that it's not going to be done on our own. You know, Jesus said it best. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it to the full. How often, then, how often more than not, our mind tells us that the things that we look into will be satisfying. The things of this world will be that which will lead us to joy. That, you know, it'll be a new relationship. It'll be a new, um, you know, a new activity, a new car, a new job, a new, whatever it might be. We seem to think those will be the things that will lead us to fulfillment. And Andy and I sat there and listened to that message. And I'll tell you, I was really preached to uh, on some stuff there. So Andy's had to deal with me uh, for the past, let's say, you know, three or four weeks now talking about death to self. He brought up this topic of baptism. So began the detailing of what baptism is, namely dying to ourselves. And a text I'm going to highlight is uh, Romans chapter 6 in regards to baptism. I'm just going to read that passage to you. Romans chapter 6, going to start at verse 3, and I'm going to end at verse... Seven. Actually, I'm going to end at verse 8. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism in death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death... Certainly we shall be like him in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Again, that we would no longer be identified by sin. That in my former way of living, I was identified, I was characterized by sin. Jews and Gentiles were characterized by their sin. The Jews being obsessed with the system that they believed they were using to bring them to God. Instead, all it did was led them further in sin and death. The Gentiles are worshiping all these false gods, thinking it makes them more wise. And, you know, um, again, they looked at all their beautiful temples and they would just say, we're wiser, better, more proud, glorifying people. And, you know, again, that led them to be dead in sin because of their ignorance in regards to the things of God. So we see here that we need to die to all of that, that we need to die to that and instead put on Christ, lose that identity outside of Christ and put on Christ and experience a newness of life. That's what we're celebrating when we get into baptism. That's the details of dying to ourselves and being raised in the likeness of Christ and that true image of God that we were called to be. That's where we're going to find life and life to the full. So Andy's had the pleasure of hearing about this from me for, you know, uh, about a month now uh, consistently. And, uh, you know, I've been friends with Andy for a while, so he's obviously heard these things or, you know, seen me allude to it. But I know for the past month or so it's been more... Uh, focused, right? And uh, one of the best things I heard this week was Andy uh, saying, actually it was yesterday, I heard Andy saying to somebody about um, my beliefs. You know, my, you know, me, I have a lot of beliefs. I'm, I'm pretty adamant about what I believe, and most people seem to know what Mike Miano tends to believe. However, it was encouraging to hear Andy say that this, I'm no longer talking about your beliefs or our, or, you know, the beliefs of the Blue Point Bible Church. Instead, it's our beliefs. 
And that has to be some really good news to hear somebody say that, that I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to put on the likeness of Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ, and um, identify with you know, the body of righteousness rather than the body of death, understanding that as an identification phrase, that you know, you're in the body of Christ rather than whatever body you were identified before. I know it really does take a community to raise up a disciple of Christ. That's why I want to share just a... Something that Johnny Ova, another local pastor that uh, Andy has had the pleasure to meet, um, Sound of Heaven Church, what he had said in a video that he produced was that my heart cannot rejoice in what my mind rejects. And I know that spending time with Andy, one of the things that we've enjoyed talking about is how our belief system, how we've come to understand the Bible, how we've come to understand Jesus, is not some irrational, out-of-this-world belief. Again, it's not of this world, but... It, it actually has a practical application for our life today, and it could be defined best as intellectual Christianity, where we actually have something we can stand upon. We have something that we can offer to a thinking people, because I'll tell you what, our society wants answers, and they need things that are going to satisfy thinking people. That's the message that we really need to help people understand. So about two months ago, we actually began a series here at Blue Point Bible Church. We are calling Being Christian. This has been a collaborative sermon series where we've allowed different speakers to come in and bless us with different topics. However, there's been a running theme throughout all of that, and it's been the presence of God. Pastor Steve actually detailed last week for us in Exodus chapter 33 about the importance of the presence of God, actually the presence of God being that which distinguishes us from the people around us. So what we really need to come to understand is what does it mean that God is amongst us? You know, that what, what does it mean that we are Christians, that we are followers of Jesus, and we believe that through Jesus Christ, God is now present with us, that he walks with us, and that he is seen in and through us, and that we are his image to the world. You see, we need to come to a better understanding of that, because that's what, according to Exodus chapter 33, and best preached by Pastor Steve last week, that's where, or that's what, distinguishes us from the world. It's said that many Christians seem to be a bit confused regarding the presence of God. How much of that presence we now enjoy in and through Jesus Christ? Where that presence is found? Is it here now? Is it somewhere when we die? Uh, again, it, it, you know, that, that's depressing. And I don't imagine that this will shock many of you that many Christians seem to be confused on what it means to be a Christian. Well, that's been the goal of being Christian series here at Blue Point Bible Church. Not to necessarily be religious or judgmental, however, challenging ourselves with the wisdom from Scripture, as well as wisdom from each other and others to be more consistent in what we believe in our manner of conduct and living life. So for the next couple weeks, throughout the month of September, I want us to look at our worship service as a sort of communal discipleship school. What I mean is a community gathering to be better equipped by equipping one another. So I've asked each and every one of you to give me three or five, three to five verses and three to five traits that you believe a Christian life should exemplify. And what I'm going to do with you this morning for the rest of this message is bring you through my three passages that I would highlight as a Christian, a Christian passages that, you know, highlight the Christian life. And then I'm going to give you my favorite Bible passage. However, I've already given you one, which is Romans chapter six. That Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through, let's say 3 through 9. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 9. That's going to be the first text that I will say highlights a Christian life. And I want to just read that to you one more time here. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Meaning that we now have died to ourselves and we identify with his death. That he came into this world to die, so therefore our job is to die to this world just as our Messiah did. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So as Christ was raised from the dead, again being victorious over death, so through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Because it's only by the power of God that we will truly see newness of life. Otherwise, it's going to be that thief repeating, repeating, stealing, killing, and destroying everything God has for us. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be like him in his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin, that identifying factor, the body of sin, rather than the body of righteousness, which is the body of Jesus Christ, the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. And that's the same for each and every one of us. That we would consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in and through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So that's the death that we're talking about, the highlight of a Christian. And all too often we hear the, um, well, I know something that really convicted me, a phrase I heard, was that too, too many Christian pastors tell people to lay their lives down at the cross, right? And to die at the cross, to die and kneel before Jesus. But they never tell them what they need to pick up. They never tell them what they should be doing to live on mission for Jesus Christ or how they should begin to live their Christian life. So what I want to do is I want to highlight a passage that I believe gives us that direction, and that is 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to turn there and I'm going to give you the verses. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And we read. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And I just want to stop there real quickly. However, the point is about to be made, but one of the most interesting things about the word knowledge being used there and the context of what's being said, uh, John Wycliffe in his commentary, rather large commentary, makes a great point that it's talking about true knowledge because there's a false knowledge of God too. There's a lot of people running around with false knowledge of God, making it up, running with what they think is the the best insight or what their mother or father or favorite pastor or favorite video person on TV has taught them. Again, false knowledge. So we need to be sure that we know where to get the true knowledge. And again, Scripture makes it very clear for us. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for training, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. However, you need to go one chapter before that, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. It says, study to show yourself approved. The man who studies to show himself approved need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we know where to find the truth. It's by studying the word of God. So now that we know that, seeing his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Again, that's what you should be getting if you're familiar with your Bible, that God has now called some to him to have the true knowledge of God. 
to have the promises of God through Jesus Christ, to have eternal life, all that the Old Testament prophets hoped for. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Again, you see what's out there in the world. We see what defines the world. We see the anxiety, the depression, the frustration, the you know drug addiction. Should I just keep going on the things that define this world, that the lust, the desires of this world seem to just show their corruption. Something I'm not interested in. So for that very reason, being that I see the lusts of the world, I see the problems with the world, I'm going to exhort my brother Andy as well as myself to apply all diligence, meaning strive with all your might. This is not an easy walk. This is not an easy life. Now that we have died to ourselves and the Spirit of God is living in us, the work has just begun. In diligence, we need to supply faith. And I'll tell you why that's important. You ever meet Christians without faith? (laughs) You ever meet Christians that seem to look at the world as if they don't understand the purpose of God and they don't see the big picture of God thinking his creation is beautiful and that God is actually in charge, God is sovereign over creation, and that the world is good and it's a good day? You ever meet the people that all they can do is grumble? They don't have a good word for you at any moment or any day? Well, I'll tell you what, that's a lack of faith. Because they fail to have faith in what God has said about his creation, that these things are good, that this world is beautiful, that Jesus Christ gives us a new world to look at the world, new lens to look at this world through. So we need to have faith. Because if we don't have faith, and you don't have people living with a productive, positive mindset, the next thing that you have is a moral decline. And you see here, right after faith, what does it say? In your faith, supply moral excellence. See, if you don't have faith and you begin to look at the world as if everything is just destined to fail and you know God's never at work in anything, you begin to have an attitude as if everything will fail and there's no reason to even have an attitude of righteousness. You begin to have a defeatist mentality that will begin to manifest through your life and you will not promote moral excellence. That's why we need faith. We need true faith, not belief. We need faith, not belief. Faith. Do I need to... Matter of fact, I think I need to qualify that. What is faith? What is faith in contrast to believing? Believing is simply, you know, I believe if I jump from a seven-story building, I might not break my legs. Or a seven-foot building. There we go. Seven stories is a bit much. Seven-foot building, I might not break my legs. Now, we all know that if I jump from that building, it's quite possible I will break my legs. It's possible I won't, but it's possible I will. And none of us have any substance to yeah we have no substance to base that on now faith is saying i know something i've seen it happen or i've heard good testimony or good report about it that way i know that i could actually make a good conscious decision to base my life upon it you know again god is not asking us to base our life upon silly myths and lies and fables you know uh again this morning in our service i challenged anybody in the room that if you know, you think you could prove to me the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen. I mean, please, but I'll promise you I don't think that's possible. So me, my, my understanding of Jesus Christ is not believing in Jesus Christ. It's having faith in Jesus Christ, meaning my faith is now built upon the knowledge that I have of him. Sure enough, what's the next thing we see after moral excellence is knowledge, because knowledge is important in our understanding of God. 
there's far too many Christians out there that seem to think we don't need to know anything. We just need to kind of have a blind faith and trust in a Jesus that we don't even seem to understand or know. That's not the Jesus of Scripture. That's not the gospel. Hardly the gospel. Our knowledge will then produce self-control. We'll begin to understand how we should hold ourselves in certain situations and how we should humble ourselves in other situations and how we should maybe sometimes defend the gospel in certain situations. But we need self-control. Proverbs is very clear about the man that has control over himself is stronger than a man that has you know, uh, power over a, a whole city. It's a, it's a hard thing to take control of yourself. Thank God it's done by us dying to ourselves and putting on Jesus Christ. So then, the next thing is perseverance. We need to hold on. We need to fight even when the battle seems like it's not, you know, it, it's not making much sense. Like we've joined the losing team. We need to persevere. And in our perseverance, well, we will produce godliness. That we will then begin to endeavor to live like our God. To manifest the image of our God. Our godliness, we will love our brothers because we will understand our brothers and sisters are striving to do the same thing we are. Striving to live with the same sort of devotion to Jesus Christ in these things and growing in these things each and every moment. All the while dying to ourselves daily and recognizing a real battle of leaning not upon our own understanding and instead striving to renew our minds according to his will. And then, of course, after brotherly kindness, love. But not any type of love. Agapeo love. The Greek word agapeo is a selfless love. A love that, again, is pretty much beyond each and every one of us, if we're going to be honest. I have to say, I really like that the Greeks at least had five different words to understand, you know, different types of love. You know, Philadelphia, brotherly love, eros, um, an intimate love, um, all sorts of different ways of um, different types of love. So in knowing that they have different types of love, it's important for us to know that when we're talking about love, we're not talking about, you know, I love tacos or I love my wife and, you know, combining just this, this word that we don't even seem to know how to define. You know, you ask people, what is love? And, you know, I love tacos. I love my wife. I love PlayStation. I love, you know, whatever it is. I love bad days if you're being sarcastic. So, you know, then you just start to get confused about the word love. So... You know, that, that seems to be problematic if we're constantly saying that we're called to love, our one law is love, what are we called to? So here the love, agapeo love, is a selfless love. You know, and this is really convicting for me because I know all too often us Christians, you know, we talk about how we have selfless love. And uh, this week I would say something that stood out to me was that I, um, I, was talk I was leading our youth group here. You know, we were having a youth group meeting and I began to challenge us about our motivation for the youth group, you know, and I, I thought about it, you know, and a lot of people would say, oh, it's great, you know, that young pastor over there is trying to do some things for the youth and put together a youth group, and, you know, again, I am, you know, hopefully you know that I am doing it out of a selfless love. However, let's be real. I'm growing a church. I'm, I'm a pastor. I want to grow my congregation. Of course I do. So, you know, then I begin to be hard on myself and say, is that real selfless love? And, you know, again, I, I don't know that we should be that neurotic about things. However, I do believe that we should be challenging ourselves to know our motives. Always challenging our motives and saying, you know, what, what sort of love am I exemplifying? Why am I doing this? Is this a selfless love? And what we should be doing is putting ourselves in positions to love people selflessly. Putting ourselves in positions to love somebody or care about somebody or do something for somebody that really has no gain for us other than I just 
want to love other people. I just want to make somebody else see the goodness of God, make somebody else see the goodness of humanity. So that's what we're called to. And continuing here into verse 8 in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Catch the power of that. This is what we're called to do. When you say, I've died to myself, and what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to take these qualities and be continually growing in them. And if you don't like that list, and you need a different list, you could go to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, and you could read the fruits of the Spirit and make that list your own. You know, go home, put it on your refrigerator, just write all of these things in 2 Peter chapter 1 or Galatians chapter 5, and every day make an active effort of living out that reality. Living out those details and seeing what they look like in your life. I'll tell you, the work will never get done. We'll never have any questions about what we need to be doing because we'll constantly be doing something to become more diligent in becoming useful and fruitful in regards to our use of the knowledge of God. I'll tell you one thing I do know. I'm not going to stop sinning. I'm not going to live a new life by focusing on my sin and focusing on my old life. So I must pick up and put on something new seems like the Christian church is all too often giving people a picture of constantly have to die to anything, but the world doesn't seem to know what we're telling them to do or what we're telling them to pick up or what the fix, the solution is. And unfortunately, we know the Christian church is widely divided on what we believe the solution is. However, glory be to God, the Bible isn't. You see, the Bible isn't divided on this. The knowledge of God isn't, and God surely is not divided on what he's doing. We need to study and search the scriptures to know the will of God. Because again, the goal here today, the goal of baptism, the goal of our worshiping together is to exhort and edify each and every one of ourselves and others to live eternally fulfilling lives. You see, I say eternally fulfilling lives. I preached a message on this a couple weeks ago. I say eternally fulfilling lives because the word for eternal, aeon, does not necessarily always mean a duration of time. It can simply mean full. A fullness of something. So again, Jesus said that I come that you might have life abundantly or life to the full. We're talking about with Jesus Christ in our life, by dying to ourselves and picking up Second Peter chapter 1 and using those things, growing in those qualities each and every day, that we will find a full life in contrast to the empty life that seems to pervade our culture. And if you don't think that's the case, again, just go and talk to some people. Hear them out on their problems. Hear them out on why they're addicted to drugs. Hear them out on why they're in codependent relationships that are abusive. Hear them out on pretty much everything that they're doing wrong. It's that they simply have this desire to like live in the sin. They, they, you know, had no foundation whatsoever in regards to the truth of God. They have not died to themselves, still living with their own understanding, their own desires, their own kingdom, so to speak, and unfortunately missing out on the fulfilling nature of what Christ has to offer. Surely a horrible thing. So our instruction in following Jesus Christ is in identifying with him through baptism equips us to find an eternally fulfilling life. To die to our old man, the old identity, and to put on a new identity. So in closing, my last couple points here. The first one I want to exemplify is if you were to ask me, what would I tell Andy if he was to be baptized? And what verse would I give him to kind of bring his life into the fullness of Christ? Again, you see, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote these letters to his spiritual son, Timothy, to encourage him in the faith. And in one of those letters, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, which happens to be my favorite Bible passage, this is what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy. 
He says, the goal of our instruction is this. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So what I want to do is just break those down for you. Love from a pure heart. Again, a love that is not built upon selfish conceit, a love that is outside of myself. A love that is simply for the goodness of other people and the goodness of God. A good conscience. Something that really needs to be spoken about a bit more. Again, we see three different types of a conscience in Scripture. You have a good conscience, you have a bad conscience, and then you have a seared conscience. We'll start with the seared conscience. Seared conscience are those that have relished in a bad conscience for so long that now they cannot even begin to understand the things of God or desire the things of God or even understand their depraved state. They seem to think their depraved state is the good state. I know each and every one of us knows somebody like that. That seems to think their identity is fine. They have a seared conscience. And unfortunately, those are the people that are the hardest to reach. Those are the ones that we pray for and we cry out to God for. A bad conscience, again, I don't think I need to explain. A bad conscience, we, we all know what that is, right? You say you're going to do something, you don't. You say you're not going to do something and you do. They lead to a bad conscience. Who wants to live when they constantly feel as if they can't do the things they say they're going to do or they keep doing the things they say they're not going to do? So, to move even further in that, a bad conscience would be a bad conscience toward God. We tell God the things that we're going to do or we tell God the things we're not going to do because we know they're displeasing to Him, yet we still decide to walk in them. We all know that that manifests a bad conscience. I know what it's like to look in the mirror with a bad conscience. Who wants that? So again, with a good conscience, we finally can live a good life. Because who wakes up on a bad day with a bad conscience and says, I'm going to live an eternally satisfying life today? Nobody. So we need a good conscience. We need to be set right with our, you know, to make amends, so to speak, with our fellow man and with our God. Thank God, through Jesus Christ, that's now made possible. And then finally, a sincere faith. Again, a faith that is not built upon whimsical thoughts or the doctrines of man or a faith, a blind faith as some people say, which is an oxymoron and doesn't seem to make any sense a blind faith, faith is not blind, faith is built upon and is evidence, if you read Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is evidence of the things that are hoped for faith is not just simply blind faith, Simon Peter didn't get out of the boat because he had blind faith in Jesus Simon Peter got out of the boat because he recognized who Jesus Christ was and that was Jesus Christ calling him to him A sincere faith is best exemplified in Matthew chapter 7 by Jesus' words where he says, the wise man is the man who builds his house upon the rock that when the storms come, this man, his house will not fall. However, this foolish man, the man that does not listen to the teachings of Jesus, does not put into practice the teachings of Jesus, that man, when the storms come, his house is left in shambles floating in the water because it was not built on a strong foundation. A sincere faith. A true and reasonable faith. A faith that can be passed on to others. Because that's my prayer for my brother. That he will become a disciple who makes disciples. That we as a community will gather around him and enable him to be able to share his faith. To give others hope and understanding of the healing of the nations. So in in closing, in further making this a community effort to raise up a baptized believer into a full-fledged disciple of Christ... I want to share two encouraging points. One from a local pastor, another one from a believer over in Rhode Island. Thank God for social media. Amen. Amen. In reading the book of Joshua, this is from local pastor here, it is revealed that when 
the invading Israelites crossed the Jordan River, the first thing they did was make themselves vulnerable to their enemies. They circumcised all their warriors and spent the next few days healing. God, it would seem, desires that we should make vulnerability and sacrifice the first step into a new journey. Perhaps we can only achieve something when we empty ourselves first. And that's what we've celebrated in baptism this morning. And then finally, one brother encouraged Andy all the way from Rhode Island. He said, Andy, your baptism this morning took maybe five minutes in semi-cold water. However, do not be discouraged if, maybe better said when, you see that dying to self will take a lifetime. Join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this life that you have called us for, invited us into, and equipped us for. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to find fullness in you, that we have the opportunity to live eternally with you, that we have the opportunity to die to all of our man-made efforts, our man-made, you know, striving to be righteous, our man-made disciplines, if you may, and instead die and, and accept your kingdom as our truth, to die to ourselves, to our manners of um, focus and desire, this world, and instead allow your truth to renew each and every one of us, to highlight the truth of 1 John 2, Lord, and to allow that truth to renew each and every one of us, that we would die to the world, that we would not love this world nor the things in it, the lusts of this world that seem to lead us in places of devastation and destruction rather than anywhere near satisfaction. Lord, thank you for your word that is our guide, that is a lamp unto our feet. Thank you for your spirit that gives us the motivation to live for you. And Lord, thank you for your presence that is forever with us in and through Jesus Christ. Lord, we magnify your name in and through Jesus' mighty name. Amen.